You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. And welcome back to the Golden Nuggets podcast. Today I've got Dave Sharkey with me. How are you, Dave? You okay? Very well. Thanks for having me on. And um, we're going to sort of explore about storytelling and theming and how we can create higher engagement and reinforce learning across different subjects and also improve awareness of current issues. So uh, do you want to just start off by telling us a bit about yourself then, Dave? Yeah, so uh, as you can tell, I'm a... I'm an Irishman, uh, and again, probably lends itself quite well to telling lots of stories, but I also am the, the head of English at Ship Lake College and have been for the last six years, although I'm in the process of moving. Well, as of September, I'll be teaching English uh, at Hampton School. So uh, being an English teacher and being an Irish person certainly lends itself quite well to, to telling plenty of stories, which, which we'll, we will get, it, uh, get into in due course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also um, a rugby coach, uh, and it's a huge passion of mine. Uh, so I coach a men's side in London. Uh, the HAC, the Honourable Artillery Company. I've coached school, uh, rugby, football, uh, in, in, in various schools. And I've also been involved in the WASPs uh, DPP programme for the last three years. Um, sports has been a huge part of my life. Uh, growing up as a, as a young Irish guy, Gaelic football was my sort of first, first love. I was swimming or playing football or uh, tennis or whatnot. Uh, and, and weirdly, rugby was a slightly later in, in that uh, my my uh, my father gave me the choice between Irish dancing and rugby, so uh, I managed to last three weeks of of Irish dancing uh, until I eventually uh, decided to to trudge off to rugby, and I haven't looked back since. So, I bet the dancing though came useful, you know, on socials events. I'm sure. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how much I picked up in three weeks, uh, <laughs> but I always I always kind of bemoan the fact that. Um, you know, I could have been, you know, in, in Riverdance or whatnot, uh, you know, if I'd really stuck at it, but who knows. So let's talk about theming then. So where did it come from and, um, you know, why do you want to use it? Yeah, so the idea of theming or storytelling is something that I kind of came came to in the last maybe 18 months or so. And just to give you some insight as to how I arrived at that, um, three years ago, I started a, a project which looked at masculinity. So I, I'm coaching in an all boys boarding school, uh, sorry, predominantly boys boarding school. It's uh, girl, girls in the sixth form. Uh, but I was certainly coaching uh, young men and I, I always had coached uh, young men. So I wanted to look at the idea of the idea of maybe redefining masculinity. And the three areas I wanted to look at with that were, you know, having conversations uh, with them consistently and not being tokenistic about it in terms of mental health, emotional well-being uh, and gender dynamics in sport. Um, so the idea behind that was really trying to create this idea of, can we foster this idea of empathy? Uh, can we create that kind of characteristic amongst the group to make them better men? That was the idea uh, sort of behind that project. Um, and, and part of that included, again, having those important conversations, again, around mental health and emotional well-being, but also putting female role models in, in front of uh, the young men that I was coaching. Um, and again, I sort of wanted them to be I wanted them to be part of better dressing rooms than maybe I had been. And that's not to rubbish or to put down the, the clubs or the, the teams that I played with, but just that if, you know, coaches will often talk about, I want to make these guys better players, better players than I was. But actually, I think we could do something a bit more, especially if you're, you're in a school environment where actually you can try and shape the character of the individuals in front of you uh, to try and make them better people, I suppose, uh, would be a sort of a, a lofty aim perhaps uh, perhaps of that what did that what does that look like to you though like so how, how has like sort of the role of 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 a man in society changed for you so um it, it was more a sense that and, and maybe I, I was maybe a bit more uh, attuned to it because um in, in ireland uh, around three years ago there was uh, there was the uh, very high profile uh, rape case which was coming to a conclusion um which involved uh two uh, very high-profile rugby players uh, in Ireland. And so uh, on social media, in the uh, in our, on Irish social media, uh, there was, you know, a lot of um, 
the base and vitriol and and and, and very understandable uh, tensions over that issue. So part of me felt very defensive at first when people were criticizing, oh, that's so typical of rugby players. And at first I didn't recognize what, what they meant by that. And then I sort of stopped and stood back and said, well, you know, is that actually, is, are some of the things that, and again, the, the individuals were, were, were acquitted, but some of the behaviors they did engage in, was that reflective of, 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 of certain rugby environments? Were they certain things that, that could have happened? Um, and so I, I kind of just had a bit of self-reflection um, uh, in that regard. And so I kind of felt that actually, especially I then considered my current environment, which was a, you know, a, an all boys rugby team and thought, well, if we're going to refer to, you know, a crisis in mental health with young men, if we're going to talk about the, the inability for, for, for young men to, to be vulnerable or to open up and, and we're going to tackle these issues, well, then we probably, we probably need to just have more than just a mental health week. We probably need to have more than just one person coming in from outside. We probably need to live that a little bit more uh, ourselves and maybe model that as, um, you know, as individuals of influence in young people's lives. So um, that, that's sort of where I came from with that, with that project and something that I, I suppose I've aimed to do. Um, and it's interesting, off the back of that, I actually went on to train as a crisis text volunteer uh, with Shout. I don't know if you've, you've heard of that organization. It's effectively like a, a tech service for people in crisis. So having gone through that journey with, with, with those young men and learning, to be honest, like I, I'm, not a, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a professional in that regard. I'm an English teacher. I can tell you an awful lot about Shakespeare. Uh, I can tell you about poetry or, you know, certain lines, what they mean in The Great Gatsby. Um, you know, so I was wading into an area that I really didn't know a lot about, but I was very open to learning from others. So on that journey, I came across this organization that dealt with people who were in crisis and would be support, almost like uh, mental health first aid, but on the end of a phone. And in a, in, in a world in which texting is so easy and some people don't want to ring up the Samaritans, although some people want to hear a voice on the phone, that human contact or human voice at the end is so important. Other people find it easier uh, to text in. So for the last uh, year, I've been working with Shout, um, you know, volunteering a couple of hours a week, um, you know, to, to jump online and to, to engage with people who are, who are in a bad place. So it's funny, what started out as a project to sort of better try and support others has definitely, you know, I've gained plenty from it because I've learned more about young people. I've learned more about these the issues that face young men or young people in society. So I definitely what, think it's, it's bettered me as a, as a you, teacher. What issues do they face now, in your opinion? I think um, there's a huge... There's a huge assumption in many cases that, um, and maybe it's the maybe it's the bitterness of getting older or whatnot, or the, the passing of time, where we 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 can often look at young people and think they have their whole lives in front of them. What have they got to be uh, sad about? It was different in my day, you know. And it, you know, it, your your day isn't that long gone in many cases, uh, and you can hear people saying that. And I think there's an assumption that because you're young, because your life is all ahead of you, that things are great, things are fine. But I think issues are um, affecting young people in ways that are maybe driving wedges between them. So I, I mentioned empathy there, there earlier that I think empathy is something that I think as an English teacher uh, and the study of literature allows you to explore. And I think empathy is about connection. Um, and uh, I think young people today sometimes can can lack both the skills to be empathetic or a world or an environment that is empathetic to them. Now, that can come down to their, their engagement with tech, their over-reliance on a, on a device that is literally trying to trigger all the dopamine in their, in their bodies to, you know, to, to stay addicted to it. Um, and I think that can actually drive, as I said, wedges between them and other people. So when they find themselves in, in situations that are, that, that are difficult, when they find themselves maybe in a hole, they find it really hard to reach out. Uh, I think that is the experience of, of lots of young people. And I think it's important for us as educators, as, as, as teachers, as coaches, uh, in whatever role, as parents, um, you know, to try and understand the world from which they're seeing it, uh, rather than the assumption that we're saying, oh, well, you've never had it so good. I mean, you have this, you have that, I didn't have that. Therefore, your life must be good. I think that's a, a wrong place to start from. I mean, empathy is an interesting one, isn't it? Because you can only really be empathetic if you've actually experienced something that they've experienced. 
And if we talk about possibly the experiences that you've had growing up, now I'm not going to guess when you were born, but I could probably say that social media probably wasn't around when you were growing (laughs) up in school. That was a fair assumption to make. Um, and, 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 And along with myself. And so we didn't really have the same experiences growing up. Now we do have it now, but I think a lot with a lot of our formative years of how the brain's formed and how relationships are built are very, we're very much from a face to face experiential time where we used to go out playing. I don't know what you did you yourself did in Ireland, but I grew up in a, a fairly rural, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> rural area played sport all the time. I was outdoors a lot, you know, and I'm sure your experience is quite similar. Um, my social engagement was face-to-face. Mm. Do you think, therefore, that from a mental health perspective, and the reason why I'm saying this is because I think it's really important understanding how and why we're talking about theme in storytelling and how it impacts. Mm. And if, these, if this is one of your areas, this is something which has been really important for a lot of the podcasts is about emotional well-being, mental health, and these are common areas that now which are cropping up and it's great to get your insight into it. Cause you said like the so, text, the text, right? So they don't feel comfortable even talking on the phone. It, so sorry. So that would be shout the organization that I, that, that I'd work with. So there are some people, so to assume that, okay, let, let's imagine you have an individual in your class who is uh, suffering from a, um, that their mental health is, is is not in a good place. They're, they're maybe feeling issues around anxiety. Now, when I say anxiety, it's not just fleeting. It's a consistent state of, you know, uh, unease uh, about lots of issues in their life or they're triggered by those things or depression. So let's say they're in that. Now, you are one port of call, but you can't assume that you're going to be the person that they might want to engage with face to face. So you might need to share maybe other resources with them, such as maybe speaking on the phone to someone, the Samaritans. Okay. However, I suppose what Shout allows is just another forum and a forum in which they're very used to texting, uh, in which they can engage and share again what they're feeling to a complete stranger, uh, to someone that they've never met and never will meet, uh, and they can find out information and be heard and be listened to. Now, this is really, really important because I'm just going to rewind back to where you said about empathy being an experience that someone else has feel. I'm going to challenge you on that because that, to me, that is not what empathy is. Empathy is not feeling the same as someone else because if you think about that as a concept, that's impossible. Uh, you know, you and I, uh, Al, may have had similar experiences. So let's take, for example, uh, we have undergone some sort of trauma in our lives. A loved one close to us at a certain stage in our lives has died. And we may think that there's great similarities between that. and Therefore, you can empathize with me more. But realistically, I have no idea of your world. You have mm. no idea of mine. Uh, the influence that person had, the, the role they played in their lives. So, you know, if someone's to lose a, a close family member who maybe there were issues where actually there was a lot of frustration or anger there, that would be different to someone else where it was a, a much closer relationship. So for me, empathy is not about feeling the same as someone else. It's feeling with someone. It's an acknowledgement. It's a recognition of someone's truth. Uh, and in many cases, what I've definitely learned from Shout, and very much so from, uh, it, it's, it's a clip that I'm happy to share with you and, and maybe your listeners, would be the clip that uh, Brene Brown has on empathy and sympathy and the difference between them. And that sort of was a, a kind of lightning bolt moment for me where it was like, sympathy is where you feel sorry for someone and empathy is where you feel with someone. And empathy will fuel connection. And sympathy it can come from a good place, but it often, no one wants to be pitied. No one wants to be made feel that they're, uh, you know, um, not the same. Whereas for me, empathy is simply, is recognizing that what you've said is true and acceptance or listening to that. And then it is a acknowledgement of, geez, that, that's terrible. I've no idea how that must feel. You know, uh, how, how, how does that affect, like, just asking questions about it rather than going, well, I, do, I haven't been through your experience. Because if we, if we went with the idea that I had to, and I, I've done this, I did this for so much of my life, where people would go through something and I'd sort of sit there going, well, I don't know what that feels like. Therefore, I'm just going to not engage them about that. That's not enough for me. And I think having that realization, actually, empathy is just listening. Empathy is just acknowledgement of what they're saying or a, like if someone comes to you with something that's, that's tough for them to express, that's a battle for them, then 
the fact that they've come to you is a huge moment because they may, may not have gone to anyone. And the same is true on a text platform. They may have told, and sometimes those are the conversations where they're revealing certain truths to you that they have never had the courage to say to anyone in a text, in a, a phone conversation or whatnot. Now, I'm definitely going to take your word for it, by the way. Like, <laughs> head, of, head of English, mate. You, you, you outdrug me by a long way, so don't worry. <laughs> um, no, I, I, do, I do think, though, it's a... It, listen, I think that's, a, that's something that I thought empathy was. And whenever I ever have that conversation with someone, what's the difference between empathy and sympathy? I do that a lot with classes. We always come to the same conclusion, the conclusions that I used to arrive to. Uh, but as I said, I will send on that clip to you uh, so you can maybe put it in the show notes or, or tag. It's an animation of which captures very, very clearly the difference between empathy and sympathy. And for me, it was a game changer. And I think it's so important in our society today. And uh, so let's move on to the, the actual sort of, uh, you know, what you're currently doing and, and why and stuff. Uh, maybe explore sort of where, where it all started off then and, and we can carry on with that. Yeah, so... I'd, I'd gone in this journey three years, three years ago where I started looking at this idea of actually sport being a vehicle for betterment of people's character. So it's what I went on to call character coaching. The idea is uh, that people will often use sport and, and you'll know that different sports will develop certain aspects of character. But we often tend to see that in hindsight. So we often tend to go at the end of the season, God, we learned a lot of X and Y characteristics. And we, we, we feel good about that. We learned a lot about teamwork. But actually, why are we waiting to the end of the season to suddenly pat ourselves on the back a bit? Could we not be maybe a bit more vigilant and prepared in advance of that and go, okay, if we value uh, resilience, if we value, um, I, I don't know what, what it might be, uh, bravery uh, or, or whatever those values are that we used to say, cool, this is something that we want to value. Well, actually, where in the season can we show those and highlight those? So with that, with that character coaching, I, I then stumbled across the idea of theming. Now, the idea of theming um, was is basically an idea that I saw. So Ronan O'Gara and Scott Robertson of the Canterbury Crusaders in New Zealand uh, and an interview about maybe 18 months ago, uh, were talking about how they use theming in, in, their, in their kind of session. So they use this idea of Muhammad Ali and uh, his return to boxing uh, with the rumble in the jungle. In the jungle. So everything they did in that season was so their story and the story of Muhammad Ali uh, returning to fight uh, in the rumble in the jungle was, was kind of aligned and they felt that their stories kind of merged and connected and clicked and they used that to great effect. So they used that to great effect because they were, well, one, they were huge successful, but I actually think the result of the outcome is actually irrelevant in some cases because what they were doing was they were creating something very unique using a story, using a narrative, using a theme to bind a group together. Now, I had tried to do that by developing empathy and other characteristics and looking at aspects of masculinity in young men. So when I saw theming on a sort of a kind of technical, tactical and social level in many cases, then I thought, actually, I could combine what I've been doing with that. So as an English teacher, I'm very lucky that I... I spend all my time looking at stories. Uh, and so um, when I saw that, I thought a way I could merge the, the, these two ideas together. So I came up with this idea of, of using uh, Project Apollo. So uh, Apollo 11 was, uh, was the, was the uh, NASA mission which landed three, uh, sorry, two men on the moon, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. So the, the, fifth, uh, the 60th anniversary of that was... Um, Sorry, the 50th anniversary of that was uh, was last year. So in the run-up to that, uh, in the run-up to uh, July uh, of last year, there was lots of uh, documentaries, there were lots of podcasts, lots of uh, things online about this anniversary. And so I was listening to the story. I was thinking about theming. I was trying to find something, a story that could, you know, inspire, could uh, be motivating, could maybe show some of the characteristics with some of the individuals and some of the experiences that they had. And so it also just fell into place. And I said, oh, I'm definitely going to use Apollo 11. So that's what I've been doing with the school group um, this past year. And then I also then with the men's club, I used a different theme, uh, Ernest Shackleton's uh, endurance expedition uh, to the, the Antarctic, which was a disaster from start to finish. But it's funny, it's <laughs> for something that was such an incredible failure. When you, when you read up about it, when you talk to people about it, you forget it's such a failure because of how they endured, how they got through it, how they survived. And looking at how they did that 
and bring to life those people and those situations and putting that in front of a group that will never hopefully have to experience those sorts of difficulties, but just so they can be inspired or see these people in a different way. Uh, and Apollo uh, with the schoolboys was a, uh, was a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, way to, I suppose, do something that I'm looking to do anyway, shaping young people uh, or, or helping create a unique experience for a group. If you were to give like a synopsis of that, how therefore, what was the story? What were the totems? And then to the key moments and the characters what did you want to get from that story in terms of the behaviours? And how did you want to shape the character? So if, if, we, take, if we take Apollo, um, and uh, Apollo, the, the Apollo kind of project, and I'm talking about uh, NASA itself, when you look at that from start to finish, and you look at the space race. So you charted from, um, and now actually this was back last September, so... Uh, early September, start of a school rugby season, I, I floated this this idea with some of the coaches that I was working with and th- they were keen to do it. And I suddenly realized when I was putting together a presentation that we might do. Now, again, this is only going to be a 15, 20 minute presentation once maybe every two weeks. And we would talk about different aspects of the Apollo story leading up to them landing, um, them landing on the moon uh, in 1969. So we started with the JFK speech, okay, in Rice University. We choose to go to the moon. Um, you know, in this decade, um, basically setting out the stall for the U.S. kind of uh, space program. Now, I, we realized that when I was chatting to them, I said, oh, lads, we probably need to do this tomorrow. And this is why. So, well, tomorrow is the date, is the 12th of September, which is the very day. So 57 years ago or, or um, whatever it was, 1962, like tomorrow is on the 12th of July is when JFK gave the speech. So that's a huge big moment because that kind of sets out this challenge, not just to the Russians, but actually to NASA themselves as an organization. So for me, and with that group that were huge, this group was very, very successful uh, the, the previous year. They had won a lot of fixtures. They had things, if I'm being honest, probably pretty easy because they were, lo and behold, bigger than, than, than other kids or had some individuals who played a lot of sport. Uh, so, and that's not, I, I don't mean to dismiss again their efforts or, 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 or what they were doing, but, you know, we've all seen those kids that maybe had it a bit too easy. And then when they came up against something harder, they folded. Uh, now, I think our job as, as coaches, as, as, as educators, as, as parents or, or whoever, is to support them with that. So I, I chose Apollo not just because of its grand story, but in that instance, it was actually going, why don't you pick an, an aim that's actually beyond, maybe seems beyond you? Uh, seems that like maybe it, 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 it's, it's not something that it seems like a, a crazy sort of idea, which in 1962 saying the Americans would beat the Russians and would land someone on the end of uh, uh, land someone on the moon at the end of the 1960s was a ridiculous thing for JFK to say. So that was a huge landmark to start it off with. And it really provoked them because most of what they had said in our conversation was that, oh, we want to go unbeaten. We want to, you know, we, we want to go unbeaten this season. Now, there's nothing wrong with going unbeaten, but I'm saying, well, what if, what if everyone you play is pretty ordinary? What if they're not very good? What if they're smaller than you? What if they put out their B team? Uh, what if someone's sick? Uh, you know, their best players are sick that day and you play them and you beat them. Is that, is that good? Is that, is that landing on the moon? <laughs> so that, that was where we sort of went with that. Um, there's some other uh, cool, uh, sorry, cool, but interesting landmarks in that story um, where you look at, so for example, if you delve into the character of Neil Armstrong, I don't know, have you seen the movie First Man? No. So First Man was a, was a book originally and it was made into a movie um, last year. And it basically just looks at Armstrong's life. And when you actually look at Neil Armstrong and you know, uh, the sort of character that he was, um, you find out about you know, his relationship with his wife, his kids, um, and you get to find out a lot about him as a person. So we found out a lot about his motivations. So the, um, the death of his, uh, of his daughter, Karen, at a very, very young age, was a huge driving force for, um, uh, for Armstrong. And then that's something that gives you an opportunity, one, to explore motivations in, in people. Like, why do, you, why do you care about this sport? Why do you do this? What do you want to do with your life? You, you get to, to delve into deeper conversations uh, by using the story, or it's an opportunity to do so. Uh, it also allows you then to, uh, again, address on an emotional level, you know, maybe people that they've lost in their lives. And to make a, 
I, I suppose, a classroom or a, a rugby pitch or a rugby dressing room, a place where those conversations can happen. So they were just some of the landmarks in that story. There are lots of others, but again, I don't want to bore you or your listeners too much with my no, no, knowledge of Apollo. No, it's fascinating. Uh, I, just, <laughs> I just wonder, um, I don't know whether this is on the curriculum or whether you could, you know, was it something that was, I mean, did, did you run it off AQA or was it just something you were excited about and decided to do it because it was an exciting story that you... I'm just thinking about cross-curricular, you know, subjects and how we could reinforce yeah. learning, which is we could obviously have Apollo 11 and, and the story of that was on the English curriculum or history curriculum, probably more so. That would be really cool of reinforcing that learning, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Like, um, so I, I'm an English teacher, uh, but I, I, I read English and history at university. And I'm, so students often find it very weird where I'm able to go like, well, of course, this book, book's written in such and such a year and what's happening here and what's happening in America. They're like, how do you know? I was like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I read history, so I have a, a, fair, a fair idea of these things. So if you, were, if you were looking at history and you're looking at the space race and again, looking at the Cold War, then there's a huge opportunity for historians to look at this. Um, you could look at, you know, and again, this is certainly... <sighs> Maybe it's an assumption for boys that they prefer nonfiction, but I know a lot of boys I've taught like nonfiction. And when you tell them, you know, and you put these heroes, you put someone like Armstrong or uh, Michael Collins, again, the third man in, 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 that, uh, in that mission who's often forgotten as the invisible, invisible astronaut. Uh, when you put them in front of them and then maybe you say, oh, you know, there's like, you know, he, he wrote a book about this or First Man, the movie you loved because we showed you the trailer. You know, that's a book. Uh, you know, you, you could definitely work it in, I think, as, as cross-curricular links there, um, if you wanted to. And, and I think that that's quite important. So I had a little catch-up with Mark, one of the history teachers. He's fantastic. And, he, and I said, what do you do on your curriculum that I could use that the kids enjoy and relate to that I could reinforce in, uh, in PE? I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you read about D-Day? I was like, okay, it's quite the, what the seventy fifth anniversary. I think it's literally just come up the new book. Mm. It's five hundred and twenty four pages long, so I've yep. got my I've got my reading in for me. Yep. And there's lots of characters and lots of information yep. in there. I'm not saying for one second I'll remember all of it because I, you know, I've got Mary like a, a goldfish, mate. So it goes in and out. But I'm just thinking, like, if I can just get some basic information that's correct. And like you said, you had some landmarks there. You can try and apply some values of, of, mm. of what those sort of effectively, like Winston Churchill, how he led the troops. Mm. Um, moments like totem moments in the story, what happened in the story, and then how could you apply that? Yeah. So, I mean, I've only just started reading this, right? And I was thinking, right, so when they were about, to, and tell me if I'm wrong, because you'll definitely be better than this than me. They were think they infiltrated the German... Um, I think it was the French intelligence infiltrated some of uh, the German intelligence and then tried to uh, spread the Germans across the whole of the north uh, coast of France. So I was thinking, well, actually, that's quite interesting because that's like spreading the defence out, so making it wider, so the spaces in between. So Mm. when they attack a certain angle, they could, obviously, they're not going to be bombarded by a huge German force there. And that's, that was just one example that I had. Now, I'd have to go into more detail and, and read up about it more. But I was just thinking if there's certain moments, like you said, like the first man walking on the moon. Um, mm. You also had like an example. I remember when we talked about um, Shackleton as well. And, yeah. and, and, and something that stood out for me was about the surgeon, seaman and biologist all scrubbing, yes. the, de- all scrubbing the decks. Yeah. And, um, for me, that's interesting because like, there's always stuff to be done that no one enjoys doing. So as a PE teacher, right, it's cleaning, yeah. it's cleaning out the equipment shed. No yeah, one likes yeah. doing it, but we all have to do it. It's not just the gappy, yeah. it's everyone. And um, I think that's important, isn't it? Especially when you talk about team sport or anything in the team environment. It could be a drama performance for all we know, is the fact that there are certain things that need doing and it doesn't matter who you are or what your role is. You just have to get stuck in. And so that was something that I could relate tangibly with a value and a moment in that story. Mm. So like, and this is where people often ask me, you know, what story should I pick? And and to be honest, I don't have a clue because I don't know who it is that you're going to be dealing with or talk. Like I have certain stories that could work that show certain things, but you might go, I don't really think it, 
that won't work for us. Like, I never would have done. Sh- well, sorry, I could have done Shackleton with the with the younger guys. I think there's a lot to get from that story. But Shackleton worked because we were in a relegation fight, and that was adults. Uh, and Apollo worked because they were a team that maybe needed to push themselves a little bit higher. Like Apollo would have, it would have been strange to push Apollo with the group if they were, you know, really struggling. Like uh, there's a coach I spoke to, uh, a guy I spoke to where actually he has the reverse issue where actually the team he's inheriting are really going to struggle next year. They've lost every game they played for two years. So pitching Apollo in this grandiose sort of, you know, we're really going to push ourselves. We're going to, you know, excel in all this. That's really hard to sell. So he's actually looking at the Japanese rugby team. Uh, now he's looking at Japan from 1995 where they got beaten by a hundred and something points by New Zealand, the highest scoreline in a World Cup match ever. And now he's looking at Japan, you know, being, you know, as, 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 as dominant as they were in the, in the World Cup last year. And he's looking at that journey saying like, just because we're, you know, perceived to be, we can be going somewhere, you know, we can be going on a bigger trajectory if we want and to sort of take stuff from that story. So I think any story can work. You need to know it well. You need to know your people well. And then, as you said, like, you know, why not use the the references to the, you know, the German troops spreading out and the difficulty that makes and condensing an attack or, or whatnot. Like, there's certain ways in which you can you can bring stories to life and connect them, uh, which can be I think exciting for them. I think what I found really interesting as well from the when we went on the webinar and I, I watch you and the the actual framework for theming and how it works mm. um so like you said like finding a story that everyone belongs to because if they don't it doesn't resonate with yeah. them they're not going to buy into it right i get that yeah Land, landmarks and moments in the season uh values so that could be applied to your school values that you have um yeah. to- totems so how do you bring the story to life which is what you've just literally mentioned um creating your own language like co-creating yeah. uh, your language Cultural architects. So you, we've not really touched on this. So like who your leadership team is. Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing that's just sort of delegation of, of your role to try and get bigger buy-in. Is that right? Or in terms of like you've got a leadership it, yes, team it, to help? Yes, it can be. So cultural architects, uh, it, it can be. Uh, it also can just be a sounding board for you uh, in some cases. Like it, it could be as much as you want. But like if, if, if we're to say about now – we're talking a lot about a team or a rugby team or whatnot, but this could be a, you know, uh, a classroom. It could be a tutor group. It could be an assembly, a year group. Uh, if you're an academic, if you're a year head or something like that, you've got a, you know, a group of 150 kids, uh, year eights in front of you. Who are the key individuals in that group? Now, if you can sway them. Now, when we say culture architects, now that's a Damien Hughes phrase. That, that's not mine. I, I'd often use the term team architects, uh, if it's or group architects, whatever it might be. But there are some people, uh, if we're talking about sport, they might be some of the better players or the bigger players or the more experienced players, okay? But they also could be socially, they're not the best players, but socially they have lots of influence. So who might those people be? If you can convince them that your stories, and again, if you could even delegate, if, if they're up to it, uh, to do that, then, then go for it. If, if you're talking about uh, in a school environment, you might need to convince maybe some of your your uh, your fellow tutors to go like listen I'm going I'm thinking of going with this with year eight this year I'm thinking of talking about Everest or Apollo or whatever it is uh, this is what I'm thinking like w- walk through it with them first and get them to it's the last bit of the framework uh, I think is, is to red team it test yeah. it have people just go okay uh, this is where like just ask a few questions of it because if we all agree that it's that it's it's awesome then that's wonderful and that's good we're all on the same page but we probably need to challenge it a little bit more now there's always there's always someone especially in education who's a dissenter mate yeah that's true probably don't need to look too far yeah for a dissenter the micro politics of working education yeah yeah too right um, and so I suppose like what challenges did you actually get with trying to, uh, influence those people, you know, your cultural architects within, you know, your, the, the people that you work with. So, um, I, with, with project Apollo, I had to go first to the coaching group that I was working with. Um, and if I was going to, if, if I wasn't going to be able to convince them, so if, if I was going to be saying one thing, and the coaches weren't going to support me or what we were doing or what I was trying to achieve, then I, I, I'm ultimately just confusing the, 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 
the people in front of me and they're saying, why is this guy talking about rockets? And this guy saying what he's saying is rubbish. Like, you know, we need to sort of get on board or at least I need to explain why I'm doing this. Um, so that was hugely important. So I touched base with, uh, with George Miller and his brother Duncan and, and Werner that they kind of, um, George was heading up the, the 15s group. Um, and I was sort of there in support of him um in many cases and the other guys and i just said listen this is something i'm thinking of doing what do you you know what do you reckon i think i think we can highlight uh, these aspects and i think this is why this story might work for them um and he was he was in from the word go uh he was really excited about it now i will say that um if 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 george wasn't and if other guys were if they were reluctant i need to either go back and can find ways to convince them or take on board with their saying or their concerns, or maybe dilute down what I'm trying to do in some cases, because um, it would be really hard if he had said, mate, that's nonsense. Like, a, uh, like, I don't get it. I need to explain it better or I, I, I get rid because it was so important that they were on board with it uh, if, it, if mm. it was going to work. So th- those now, they're not quite the team architects, but they're, they're hugely influential in, in, individuals. Now, I didn't do it, but I would do it with a, with a group is that I would then maybe go to some of the key uh, players or the key people in that group. So if it's a school team, if it's a, if it's a sports team, it might be your captain, your vice captain, uh, some of your, your key players, social uh, individuals, as we said there, that might have a certain uh, pull within the group uh, and just run stuff by them and say, listen, we're thinking of doing this, what, what you reckon? Um, I've heard of some coaches actually to get more buy-in uh, and to overcome some of those challenges is to actually give them choice as to what story or theme they might do. So they present them with two or three themes, say, hey, what, what do you want? Do you want to do this, this, or this? And then when they vote on one, they get a bit more saying, ah, we, we've gone mm-hmm. with this one because it's, you know, we, we think that's cool or that's going to be interesting. Uh, and then you work with that. Now you would need someone who's, who knows the theme well or let them develop it uh, as they go through. But uh, I think that element of choice is, is, is one that could, be, that could definitely help a buy-in. I think also it brings into the so the sort of cross curricular uh, links we've just mentioned. I think is really important because like if we can reinforce it on the pitch or in art or drama or in performing arts, it ultimately makes the relationship better. Also, I suppose for you, you've got you know two strings to your bow there in that sense mm-hmm. that you know you've got English. They're in the classroom with you, and those sporty kids that you coach as well are like, yeah, you know, Mr. Sharkey's wicked. You know, we we do all this cool stuff and that just helps your cause, you know, in terms of when they're writing essays or mm. if you're, if they're obviously developing the curriculum that way. But I think there's also another angle with this. And I think this is quite important is, is about improving awareness of current issues. So like, obviously we've had the black lives matter movement and with that, I think it's really, it does start with education. And I think it's about educating kids about the truth and the history of the, you know, the truth of, of what's actually gone on. How do you think you could actually apply that? So you're, you're talking to, to an Irishman who trained uh, in England and teaches in England and who taught history over here uh, about maybe the gaps in the, in the British curriculum. Uh, you're definitely trying to trigger me here, I think. Um, but I think, listen, I, I think everything you said there is so important. Uh, and I think if people can't review their curriculum or see a chance for us to embed stories uh, that deal with aspects of race and look at other people's perspectives, then I don't know what you're waiting for. That's my, that will be my own take on it. Mm. Um, so I have considered this in the idea of, um, in the idea of theming where I kind of thought about um, the idea of maybe doing a, so as I said, that guy did a, a, a Japanese kind of rugby theme. I was thinking of actually, if you looked at the history of rugby in South Africa, you could definitely explore, um, you know, the discrimination that black people faced, the issues and tensions in that country. Now, you could look at uh, Errol Tobias, who was the first uh, uh, black player to play for the Springboks. You would look at the apartheid era. You would look at the history of that. And you'd actually look at, again, uh, you'd look at aspects about colonialism. You'd look at, again, Britain's involvement in, in, in colonialism in, in, in South Africa and in, uh, in Africa and, and around the world. Um, but then you would bring it to, you know, that iconic image of uh, Francois Pinar in 1995 being presented the, the, the Rugby World Cup by Mandela, who's wearing his number, uh, wearing number six on the back of his shirt as he's presented this, that iconic moment that kind of brought that nation together. Now, if we fast forward to last year, to 2019, you see a Khaleesi, the first black, 
um, Springbok captain uh, and South African rugby captain lifting the, 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 the trophy, uh, also wearing number six. That's an incredible sort of symmetry there with that. Now, um, I, I think that is definitely a, a story that you could tell. Um, I also think that there are lots of other stories that we need to explore. Like this happens in English so much where so many of the, the, the authors that we study are dead white uh, men. <laughs> uh, and we need to push ourselves beyond that. And we need to challenge ourselves. And in some cases, people go like, oh, well, it's just that, like, you know, I just struggle to find these. Well, look, look harder because there's plenty, there's plenty of uh, female writers, women writers who have, uh, you know, who are exceptional, who are, who are, um, who are more than capable of being on your curriculum. And there are plenty of, of black writers or other voices that we should be listening to, that we should be tuning into. Even if the, the diversity is not in front of you, it's important that we give uh, students a rich and full and broad curriculum that, that looks at perspectives from other, for, uh, other people's perspectives. And if we were to go back to empathy, Empathy is feeling with someone, but it's also perspective taking. It's, it's understanding and acknowledging someone else's perspective. It's as uh, in To Kill a Mockingbird, it's walking a mile in a man's shoes to understand, you know, what his world is like. And I think that's so, so important. Um, and I'm sort of excited by the idea of, you know, hopefully this time next year, my, my, my punt, and you've heard it here first, my punt for the captaincy of the, uh, the British and Irish Lions next year is Maro Atoje. Now, how incredible would that be if Sia Khaleesi is still the captain of South Africa <laughs> in Amaro Toje, uh, you know, the, the first, uh, first black um, British and Irish Lions uh, captain, tour captain, you know, facing off against each other. What an incredible uh, thing that would say. Now, it, the danger here sometimes is, and I definitely come across this a lot uh, when I teach English, is that, and we do this, I think, a lot uh, in our world, is that when we look at race, we look at issues, and it's so easy to do with, obviously, all that's happened in the last few months, is we point to other places and go, God, they're racist. So we could look at, if we were to look at the South African rugby, uh, the history of South Africa, we would go, God, it was terrible there. But where do we bring those stories closer to home? Where do we um, ask the questions? I remember teaching in, in inner city London um, and asking kids, you know, being uh, being shocked when I asked my tutor group where one of my kids said, oh, I was stopped and searched. And I was like, what? Like, I knew the kid. This kid wouldn't have said boo to a goose. They were like, oh, because the kid was black, they were stopped and searched. Now, he was like, it's not a big deal, sir. It happens all the time. And I suddenly stopped and went, sorry, can you just put up your hand if you've been stopped and searched? And of a group of 32 kids, 20, 25 put up their hand. And of those 20, 25, 15 are black. You know, a lot of the white kids, some of them were putting their hands up in some cases. And I was kind of going, well, like, it was just... I think we need to bring those stories closer to home. I think it's easy sometimes when we read of my cement to go, God, America in the 1930s, you know, terrible. Or in history, um, where we look at Martin Luther King and then we say, uh, and we look at, you know, uh, I have a dream and we go, cool, civil rights movement, racism over. And then we sort of move on. We pat ourselves on the back and we say, fantastic. I think this is something that I'm concerned about uh, of late because it, it, while, while we are educating ourselves by, um, having these conversations about statues, about uh, the past. We need to continue to have this conversation. We need to get it wrong. We need to uh, have an open, an open mind. We need to listen in many cases as, you know, as, uh, as white men in many cases to hear the stories of others uh, that, are, that are far less marginalized than we are. Uh, but I definitely think there's, a, there's an onus on us uh, to do that. Um, and, yeah, I have, a, I have an interesting one if you're, as a PE teacher, one you could definitely look at if you're interested and definitely could look at a history if you're interested in it. Yeah, definitely. So are you familiar with um, uh, the Black Power Salute, uh, the, the 1960, was it 62 Olympics? I think, no, it would have been 62, 64 Olympics. I don't know if you're familiar with the, the two uh, US athletes, um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos, both with their hands in the air, their fists in the air. I don't know if you're familiar with that image at all. I think I remember the image. I, don't, I can't remember the story, though. So basically, that was kind of the height of the civil rights movement. And they were uh, showing their support for the, the, uh, the black kind of power movement. So again, uh, some of the issues that were happening in the states and the police brutality and the, the rights in certain states and the access to education or, or, or whatnot. So in that image, uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos are both like... Uh, They've, they've, they've their shoes off uh, on the podium, their, their heads are bowed and their fists are in the air. Now, that image is iconic in terms of like uh, the, 
uh, Olympic movement. So you could look at that from a historical perspective in the sense of looking at the civil rights movement. But you as a PE teacher could definitely talk about that in the sense of, um, of this sort of movement and what was happening at the time and actually going like, look, just like this is happening back then and it's happening now. Why aren't we learning from this or what lessons will we learn? Because in, in 60 years time, let's not have the same conversation. Yeah, you know, when when the, the kids in front of you are old and have grandkids, let's not let's let's hopefully they can say that that was something that happened a long time ago and no longer happens. Now, in that image, um, you those two athletes, but there's an Australian athlete, Peter, Peter Norman, who's a white athlete um, who's next to them and he's wearing a badge in solidarity with them. Now, uh, Peter Norman was later ostracized by the Australian Olympic team. That's um, that's an incredible image. But there's a there's a there's also an incredible image of. Uh, Peter Norman's funeral, which took place a few years ago, that Tommy Smith and John Carlos are the pallbearers at. So what happened on a podium lasted a lifetime because they had an ally with them uh, who stood next to them, who supported them, and who actually lended one of his gloves to... um, to the others or, you know, said that he would support them in what they did and who stood next to them in that moment uh, and who felt the impact in many cases uh, that, that was pretty severe. So that's definitely one that as a PE teacher, as an English teacher, as a history teacher, I think you could touch on. I think it would be interesting mm. just to have a conversation about it. And it's not to say that I know, like, you know, th- that's me and that's my my fairly mediocre uh, internet research. I'm sure if we delve into those stories more, we would find more interesting things and challenge people's perceptions and have a conversation that's worthwhile. Um, and as I said, if we can have that conversation now, I don't know when we're going to have it. I think that's the start though, isn't it? It's actually just giving it a go, being open-minded enough and being vulnerable to go, you know what? I'm not going to get this right straight away, but it's mm-hmm. actually okay because we're actually talking about it, which is what this is whole, the whole point of this conversation is exactly that, to in, improve awareness. But I think it sort of, it brings me to sort of the conclusion of now of, of like, if we're going to use theming and character coaching, if we just sort of wrap it up in some golden nuggets so we can take this away now. I think it's also too important for the listeners as well to go, this doesn't have to also apply in education as well. Like it could apply in any corporate, if, you, if you're working in teams and everyone works in a team, that you could actually have your own story, you know, and, and I think it could apply to everyone this. So you're going to wrap it up. What would you say in terms of the goal? Yeah, no, of course. I think it's a, it's a good point you make there about, you know, business and whatnot. Like storytelling is, is older than the, uh, than the spoken word. So before humans could speak, we were painting stuff on caves, trying to depict where, you know, where, where the best hunt was or where was dangerous or what not to eat or whatnot. So uh, this is fairly, um, it's an it's an incredible part of our culture. We all like listening to comedians. We all like listening to stories. It can be a, a, a fairly unique way in which to present content or material. And it is huge in the business world as well. You know, there are lots of businesses and corporations that will tell their story or will delve into other stories to to, to bind people together. Um, but yeah, sorry. So to come to my, my kind of golden nuggets, you mentioned some of them already, but um, the first one would be is find a story that you belong to. And I mean, you plural, uh, you as the person maybe who's, who's, who's looking to delve into it, but um, the group that you're working with. So um, try to align your aims as closely uh, to those that are in the story. So if you can see overlap between what the, the people, the theme or the story that you're looking at and what you're trying to achieve. So explore the motivations. What do they want from this year? Why are they coming to school? Why are they, uh, you know, working in this in, in this business or whatnot? Uh, you know, what are we trying to achieve immediately? What are our long-term goals? Like, have those conversations uh, quite openly and then see whether the story that you're thinking of uh, will align with that. Um, because if, you, if you're across purposes there, it might be tricky uh, in order to do that. And that kind of brings me to my next golden nugget, which is know your story well. So when you've decided on that, you know, uh, no, back to front. Now, I know you're looking, you're desperately looking forward to jumping into that D-Day book of 5,000 pages long or whatever. Um, you can you can find plenty there, there. Listen, we live in an age where you can get access to lots of resources, podcasts, uh, online articles, uh, you know, journals written by people, reach out to people on social media who know more about this than you. Uh, you know, if you are, if you need to know about uh, the history of something, you know, talk to someone maybe who has an interest in it if you're in a school a history teacher but find out more about that story find out different perspectives um delve into it um and then maybe as you said maybe get some of the other uh, 
team architects to, to, to help you with that, uh, to help you with that, that research. But for me, know your story well enough. That find stuff that's going to make you laugh and going to make you cry. Bring them on an emotional journey. Um, I think that's so important. So uh, knowing your story well is so important. And then finally, my last one would be is that bring your story to life. So find moments or landmarks, as we said, uh, that will resonate and then celebrate those when you see them. So if if resilience or if whatever characteristic or value or, or you know thing that you want to bring to life is that you want to encourage well then when you see that call that out and, and say it now for me businesses schools we are great at writing stuff on a wall and that's for me that's where it dies <laughs> um so i'm always wary of people of, of, of organizations that go this is this is what we stand for this is it because people walk past it and they think because it's there we must be doing it by osmosis, but that's <laughs> never the case. Um, you don't need to write on a wall if you're living it. That's the way I'd, I'd look at it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If you do live it and it's on the wall, great. But challenge yourself and ask yourself, actually, is that what we stand for? Or if you say resilience, if you have an idea, resilience in PE is different to resilience in English, uh, resilience in geography, or resilience in a business, uh, you know, a small business, is very different to a big corporation. Um, you know, so... Decide, like, if resilience is something you want to work on, then decide what that is. Um, and then bring that to life. And when you see someone do it, tell them. <laughs> Celebrate it. Pat them on the back and go, did you see that example of resilience? Talk us through that. What were you thinking there? Or if you see someone miss the opportunity for that, say, well, you know, like, it is about education. You know, we're not always going to get this right. It's not going to be perfect. Mm. Um, and there's chances to do that. So, wherever you can bring your story to life uh, and it'll make it resonate all the more, I think with the group you're dealing with. Well, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you and uh, we're going to have to wrap it up there, but it's bringing it to life. That's it. I've just got to nail down that D day and uh, figure <laughs> out the key moments. I might be reaching out on social media. I might be tapping into your brain anyway and uh, getting a synopsis because well, uh, five, 524 pages is going to take me a while. So, Well, you'll have to watch, you'll have to watch Saving Private Ryan at least. Yeah. I'll have to watch uh, that again, mate. That's such a good film. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on the show, mate. No problem. Thanks for having me.